Hello everyone and welcome back to Bantering the Blue Shirts. Uh, Tom and I are back this week. We took last week off uh, in respect to the protests that are still going on, uh, both here and abroad and across the world now. Uh, we'd like to, Tom and I talked before the show, we wanted to start the show by making the statement, because it's not a hard statement to make, that Black Lives Matter. We hope that everyone who is uh, attending protests and being a part of protests staying safe uh, you know we hope that you know this is not just something that is a fad for a lot of people on social media that we see real change and uh, obviously there are things bigger than hockey we don't talk a lot about too many of them here but it's a big deal and um, we just wanted to say you know we're gonna try and talk some hockey this week because other than hockey being a way for you know, to help from, you know, sports being a good distraction. Uh, it can also do things like help raise awareness uh, and use its platform for things like social change that are important. But the distraction part of sports, Tom, is a pretty good part of sports. And every once in a while, some self-care, thinking about sports is a good thing. Yeah, certainly. And, and as Mike said, um, you know, Black Lives Matter powered all those people who are expressing their, their, their voice, whether it's through through protests, um, you know, fundraising money, generating awareness. It, it's something where a lot of people will say, oh, stick to sports or but throughout history, sports and politics, the, the human experience and every every form of entertainment for that matter, whether it's music, um, movies, it's all intertwined. And it's something that hopefully it continues because this can't be a fad. It can't be something that there's all this outrage because of the heinous things that transpired. Hopefully this is a pivot point and it's something that because sports are not going on, that people are paying attention to what has been going on and we can work collectively to become better uh, as a society. Um, as Mike mentioned, the Rangers finally released a statement, but as it's just sort of as a thought exercise, and, and not yeah. to, to dwell on this too much, pretend that the entire year of 2020, Mike, you've been on a beautiful tropical island somewhere. Okay. Your own island, you have no cell service, there's no news, you're just spending every day... Coconuts and crabs. Swimming getting coconuts, catching... Conch shells. Do you say conch or conch for the big shell? I think of conch, like, from, from Spongebob. Yeah, I've all my life I've waffled back and forth because it's one of those things you hear people you respect as knowledgeable say that word, and I've heard both ways. I think in my head I default to conch. It doesn't sound right, though. I think, like, I mean... I, it's just one of those things where I'm, I, there was an example someone had tweeted out like um, there's words that they're pretty much the same like I think and like some people say like oh I, I have burnt toast or I burned my toast where they're kind of sound the same and they pretty much convey the same thing um, but anyway pretend you are I got what, my shell as I'm describing it, it's sort of like you're doing Animal Crossing in real life yeah sands the you know paying off your note to tom nook um if i read you these words mm -hmm. t 
tell me what you think it's referring to. Every one of us has a role to play in creating a more just and equal society where there is no racism, bigotry, violence, or hate. We stand with all who act for positive change. What do you think that's referring to? I really don't know. It sounds like it's come from a dispassionate robot that's we tried really hard to program feelings into, but we just came a little short, right? Like, that robot will go up and pet a kitty cat, but then, like, it'll if it sees a child playing with fireworks, and it will just watch and see how things play out. It, it doesn't have that full human spectrum of emotion kind of a thing. To me, my first reaction, and if that text was, say, set over a, a photo montage of, you know like civil rights activists, I would think that's something that maybe a school five years ago would put out in commemoration of, um, you know, recognizing whether it's Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday or any things of those nature. It just feels like it's such a very specific or not specific, a very generic, we feel that there should be no risk of bigotry, violence or hate. Bland. Yeah. And I mean, I sort of made my thoughts on this on Twitter. Anyone who follows me has seen it. And I think, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think we understand that this was not a Rangers specific statement. The Rangers and the Knicks had not said anything publicly. Um, There had been the reports uh, that a memo went out. And then there was, you know, people within the organization, players and stuff who had their own thoughts about it. And this is sort of the result of them not making any statement. Um, But again, it comes down to timing. I feel like if they had made this statement last week while all their teams were saying something, people would have been upset because it's not calling out the the key issues um which which is you know it's police police brutality violence against the black community it Um, fails shana's rubric pretty bad yeah shana has had a good rubric of all the different statements that have been put out um so i think that's why most people are mad and i know people are gonna say what do you expect it's the rangers and Obviously, they have a very long-lasting relationship with uh, the New York City Police Department, and they would not want to say anything that, um, you know, rubs them the wrong way in, in a sense, or they don't want to be too heavy-handed. But I understand that, but I still think that you can say what happened was was wrong, there are systemic problems, as evidenced by all of the visuals going out there um, with, with the cameras rolling. There is clearly a problem, um, but they just decided, you know what? We didn't say anything. Now we're going to say something, and they're getting, um, they're getting you know, held accountable. Well, not held accountable, but people, yeah, getting ratioed for it. Um, and you know yeah, what? They it's, should. <laughs> like yeah. they had enough. 
The thing is, I understand that they don't want to make too strong of a statement, but they could have learned a lot. They could have turned this delay into an advantage and say something that was actually impactful or meaningful. And instead of just this, like, a statement that doesn't check off any boxes. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's pretty damning that the Rangers were the last team in the NHL and the Knicks were the last team in the NBA to say something. And I know some people might say, well, why do you have to say anything? Um, and my answer to that is because this matters, because systemic racism matters. And we look at these things, these things we call sports teams, and for many of us they are, like I said at the top of the show, they're a distraction, they're a sanctuary from a lot else, you know, the other things going on in our lives. But we can't have those things that are our sanctuaries be corrupt and part of a problem or ignorant to a greater problem. And hockey, in my opinion in particular, has had a pretty bad track record with things like racism and homophobia and sexism, um, transphobia as well. And like this past season, I I got my hopes up here and there. Um, I thought some things were going in a positive direction with the Rangers' involvement with girls hockey, uh, with you know, with Pride Night and you can play. Like things look like they're heading in a good direction, but the MSG company dropping the ball in this one, which is really James Dolan dropping the ball, uh, is is just a big horrible shit sandwich and. I know we have plenty of listeners who don't want to hear any of this sort of talk. Uh, you can grin and bear it for, for 10 minutes or so. Yeah. And the last thing that I'll say about it, and I, I tweeted this, so I'm, I'm somewhat repeating myself here, is that I 100% understand those who say, why do you care about a statement from a team, from a brand, from an influencer, from a celebrity, from an athlete? Um, the percentage of statements that are actually organic, thought about, and insightful are few and far between. I think we all understand how this works, how there are, there's PR departments, there's rounds of vetting where things go through so that it's on message, on brand, on whatever you call it. But all of that said, I think your fans, your audience, your market, whatever broader adjective you want to use has a reason to feel suspicious or confused or um, you know suspect that if you're unable to uh, tackle the 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 issue at hand through a statement that there's there's not a, a lot of confidence that the actions that follow are going to be meaningful and you know to the Rangers credit they have been doing things in the community. Uh, Ice Hockey in Harlem is a great program that they've been involved with a number of years. Obviously, everything they do through Garden of Dreams. So they've been an organization that has been able to do actionable things. Um, and there are I, great people in the organization. Like, for example, Anson Carter, who's an employee of the MSG company, organized and put together a great video that featured Henrik Lundqvist uh, among others, including Angela James and Kelsey Colzer, you know, players across the NHL um, and women's hockey as well. And that was awesome to see. So 
like there are it's it's frustrating because it's like the entity of the rangers is such a disappointment in this regard but i mean this is one of those things where i i, I take issue with where the head that holds the crown you know what i mean i think this is yeah. shows a severe disconnect between james dolan and the people that fill his stadium yeah a hundred percent and i understand there might have it's it's there's employees who felt like they could have or wanted to do something more and they didn't want to for whatever reason and um i'm not going to get mad at those individuals um but we've seen cases of people just going rogue whether it was um nfl players they put out a statement that was able to get the nfl to release another statement to the point where roger goodell said you know we were wrong and we we need to do a better job listening um you know for those who you know care about you know cooking or anything like that um there was an incident um with bon appetit uh where you know they have a bunch they have a series on youtube they have a magazine where their editor in, in chief um had had a photo on instagram uh you know with blackface and the pretty much the entire staff had said we're not going to participate in any more videos if he's held accountable and he ended up resigning. So um, there are, are situations where you can take a take a stand and do things. Um, you know, maybe people at MSG tried to do that. Um, but all, all I'll say more, and I know I already said the last thing I'll say about this, so sorry for rambling on for two more minutes, is... Hopefully the actions that that go forward are are ones that um, speak to to the organization's commitment to do the right thing. That's certainly a phrase that's been used a lot over the years, um, and that that's really all I have to to say about it. Do you have anything else you'd like to say, Mike? Nope. Other than what we already covered, and uh, you know, we didn't want to spend the whole show talking about it, but this uh, for those who find this sort of conversation or topic unpalatable sorry this, this is this is the news right now and more importantly this is what's important in the world right now so uh it is what it is but that's life we uh, we wanted to turn our attention on to some other ranger specific related news that has to do with the skates on the ice and we're in phase two tom Phase two, uh, yeah. So basically, I don't know what the phases mean. I'm going to be honest with you. I could so, call myself a sports journalist, and I don't know. So I'm pretty sure there's one phase. It's like acceptance, bargaining. Oh, that's yeah. an, that's that's something completely. One different. of them has a plans for the Death Star, uh, and for another with reason, a flux has, capacitor. Yeah, something about a flux capacitor, and then uh, you know it's it has a built-in weakness because of a movie they made like. 20 30 years after the movie but uh yeah yeah there's a lot of phases we're on phase two which means like small groups and things yes Um, limited skates up to six players at a time uh in the training facility um there is a small group of players who are at the facility today it was uh brendan smith brendan lemieux Chris Kreider, Mark Stahl, Adam Fox, and Philip DiGiuseppe. Um, Igor is in Florida, and he's going to continue training there for the time being. Uh, Panarin is in the area, but he was waiting on the results of a, a coronavirus test. Um, basically, 
as a part of phase two, the players need to be tested before they can enter the facility. Um, yep. You know, you know, purposes of contact tracing and all all that fun stuff, so that they can isolate if someone gets sick, who is around, who's at risk, and all, and all that. Um, we know that Georgie and, and Capocacco have been skating over in Finland. We know Hank's been skating in Sweden. Um, so it'll be interesting to see any other players who were overseas, how long it takes them to, to come back. But um, the the one major thing of news is Chris Kreider. And I, I think you, you'll share my same sentiments, Mike, that we had thought at one point – Kreider was going to be done for the year and then obviously all of this uh, stuff happens and he's going to be in a position where he's going to be healthy and ready to go for a potential playoffs and which is obviously something none of us expected yeah it's pretty crazy um, but that's Kreider isn't the only guy who a lot of people thought was going to be done um, you know and not going to be a factor in the playoffs before COVID happened the pandemic happened and we have a couple of guys you know, across the league who, you know, just <laughs> they're, they're healed up. And, uh, obviously Chris Kreider will make a tremendous difference. And, you know, we, we still haven't gotten into, cause honestly, there's tons that still needs to happen before we have hockey. And we need to say that even though, God, I just want hockey. Uh, I want it bad, but it's. I would love to look at like Tom. Let's talk about how the Rangers match up with Carolina. But I. I, I can't do that to myself and to the and to the people yet. Um, but it's a big deal to have Chris Kreider back because he's very good. And uh, you know, looking at what the Rangers have, of course, in terms of forwards, having Chris Kreider back in the top six is just. It's better than Phil DiGiuseppe in the top six, Tom. Yeah, and it, I think. That's also even an improvement for the bottom six where you can push Giuseppe down. Um, and it's going to be interesting battles to see because um, we might have... I think we, we put this on the banter, but we haven't talked about it yet. But um, the Rangers are trying to see if there's interest in, in Elias coming back for a, a training camp and a potential playoff run, which would be interesting. Uh, personally... Very I've, interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't see the harm. I think, if anything, it's everything that's going on in the hockey. It's going to be a weird format where we don't know who is going to get back up to speed. We don't know what kind of injuries that there are going to be. We don't know where they're going to be playing yet and what ice conditions will be like. Um, So, really, it could just be... With all of the chaos going on, Anderson coming back, everything that happened prior may not matter as much because it's, all right, we're in an environment where we want to give you a shot. If you show that you have um, you know, the ability to, to do what we ask you, then just go play and don't think about anything else. Yeah, and the other... I mean, it's fascinating for a lot of reasons. Obviously, the, the relationship between Leas and the Rangers and where things left off... Um, although, you know, it does sound like there were efforts to build or at least mend that bridge, uh, kind of spearheaded by John Davidson. But when this kicks off, when hockey returns, depth is going to be so big. Having, you know, just with the likelihood of, of things popping up during camp and, 
you know, the other thing I think people are forgetting is we have to go through a whole training camp, Tom, and we have to have guys, it's almost like the start of a second mini season. And, you know, it, in some ways that could really help Leah Sanderson, um, just like it could help a guy like Vitaly Kravstov and, you know, some guys who were struggling on the Rangers. Like, hell, it might even help, help a guy like Brett Howden. Who knows? But it's a it's a really unique opportunity that no one really expected because of all the factors involved that we could have Leah Sanderson back in a New York Rangers jersey, um, which no one, I don't think anyone expected we would see. And now it's, you know, there's real potential there. And, you know, not for nothing, but Leah did a very, very respectable job uh, when he went back to the SHL for HV71. Um, you know, it's been said here and elsewhere, but he had seven goals and five assists in 15 games with, you know, just under 16 minutes of ice time a night. And overall, you know, he looked pretty darn good. And that's a, that's a very promising thing. Um, I think they should bring him over for every reason, both for, you know, if they can work something out and also to get an idea of where he is. Um, you know, to evaluate what he looks like as an asset. And also, you know, I think it would be healthy within the organization to think of him first as a prospect and second as, you know, a, a poker trip, poker chip that could be traded and turned into something else if that is what has to happen. But I, I think it would be foolhardy just from everything, the way that this has gone with a guy like Leas to to just say it's over why bother bringing him over i think it's it would be a good idea essentially the rangers are entering the playoffs you want center depth uh leah sanderson can help that yeah i mean i agree with that because it's and as i'm thinking about this um or rather as you were talking about and i thought um i saw on the athletic um how they do i think it's a every time around this year they do almost like a redraft of of you know uh, prior years draft or whatever, but at this point they were up to 2017, and as much as we can say that Anderson at seven has not been what you would have thought or would have, would have wanted, some of the players drafted directly after him really haven't amounted to much as of yet. Like Casey Middlestat, um, 39 true. points yeah. in 114 games. That first round is a total crapshoot in terms of what guys turned into. Like, in fact, if you think of, like, where Heedle went, like, the, the story of that first round isn't so much that the Rangers missed or maybe overreached for Anderson. It, the real story is, wow, they did a great job getting Heedle. Yeah, because, like, when you look at the... Obviously, you have the top names. Um, he shares played well. Uh, Miro Haskinen, Kel McCarr, Elias Pettersson... Um, further down the board, you have Robert Thomas, who went one pick before Heedle, who's played well, obviously, then Heedle. So, and then you have guys who you would think they have potential. They just haven't played much in the NHL yet. So um, maybe, like you said, he takes that newfound confidence playing in Sweden, comes back, and, and, and things are um, on, a, on a different playing field. But at this point, you just take everyone and see 
who the best roster um, shakes out to be. And it, it would be a crummy thing if, if you know, you, you weren't just giving everyone a shot. So who knows? Um, yeah. Leah Sanderson, maybe he gets a chance. We'll see. Who knows? I'm for it. I want baby Leah Speck. I mean, we have to have some fun things to think about, Tom. That is true. And I would say in other fun things, we can talk about awards. Um, although the first one, it's not really like uh, a fun nomination, so to speak, where it's um, Hank was named the, the Rangers representative for uh, the Masterton. Um, basically, it in prior years, it's been given to a player who has persevered whether it's um you know coming back from an injury coming back from you know something you know troubling in their life um i think what was it 2014 that dominic moore won it after returning to hockey after um the death of his wife yeah taking Um, 18 months off uh to look after his his wife in her final mm -hmm. her final months and he's the last ranger to win it but although What's interesting is like before more the last Ranger to win it was Adam Graves and Gravy won it just for like service to hockey, right? Mm-hmm. So some years you have a story of you know Saku Koivu comes back, uh, you know from a serious illness, and then mm-hmm. other seasons you have you know a guy who just is a veteran who's been around a long time. I mean even when you think of like, uh, you know, Zuccarello not getting the Masterton to me was just a, an absolute debacle. Um, but That was the year Yager won it, I think. Yeah, which, you know, I know it's Yager, but God damn it. Like, he had to relearn how to talk. It's pretty sp- big. It, it, yeah. He could have died. Pretty big. Um, I don't know. That one has always has bothered me. But it is, it is one of those things where, like, not every team has that you know, that story that pulls on your heartstrings. You know, there's a lot of teams like, for example, uh, Colorado, uh, their Masterton nominee is former Rangers prospect Ryan Graves, um, who I, w- I imagine is getting the nod because of the his time served in the AHL as a guy who maybe a lot of people, you know, the Rangers have made the deal for him with Chris Begris, and I'm sure the thinking was, hey, we might as well. These are two guys who haven't lived up to expectations and what do you know? Ryan Graves has had a tremendous season for Colorado, and it's a great story. And it looks like the Rangers missed out on something uh, pretty significant there, or at least something special. And, uh, you know, then you have Henrik Lundqvist, who this is his 15th season. And I think in the story I, I put up for Banter today, he is second in active wins behind Flurry, uh, but first in saves. And. I actually wanted to take this opportunity to ask you, Tom, because I've heard, depending on who I ask, I hear very different things. Mm-hmm. But objectively speaking, um, do you place Henrik Lundqvist top 10 all time in NHL goaltenders? Yeah, and I, I probably put him top five. That is where I am. I put him in probably four or five. Um, I move around on this a lot. I'm a, I'm of the opinion that Hasek is the best, and not everyone agrees with me on that. But, um, you know, it's. I also have a harder time um, giving 
don't know. I'd skew towards. I there's a recency bias for me is is the easiest way to put it, right? Right. Like I, I would put Prodor ahead of Hank. I would put, you know, Hasek ahead of Hank, and you know, icons. You know, a couple of the guys you can't debate about, like Sawchuck and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I've heard some people say he might not even be top fifteen, and I. Yeah, that's bullshit. And I think that has a lot to do with the the lack of hardware, the cup. But you know, he's got an Olympic gold, um, and his playoff numbers are great. It's. I don't think Henrik Lundqvist is a is a Curtis Joseph sort of goaltender that will be remembered for doing kind of everything but and not being in the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if I were to if I were to do my top, th- it's it's hard because I would say number one is Hasek without a doubt. I'd say number two is Patrick Waugh, um, and and then it, number three it gets kind of tough because. You're considering era and amount of teams who played, but I just look at what Ken Dryden did um, when Zakan Smythe in his his first season, um, you know, without having played in, in uh, you know much. He wins the Calder Trophy the next season. Um, you know the amount of Vezinas he won. Um, you mentioned Sawchuck. He's a guy who as I was writing about him um, in, you know, the Once Upon a Time in Rangertown. Um, yeah, which is great, by the way. Thank you. He had some really good seasons, but also you, you figure how many teams were in the league. Um, and then you have other guys who I don't think they, they get the credit all the time. I think, like, guys like Roberto Luongo, who you hear about Hank, you hear about Flurry. I don't hear Luongo's name as much, and I think... If um, we had better analytics around the time he was in his first stint with the Florida Panthers, we'd have a little more appreciation for him. Um, Brewer is tough because I think he's overrated, and this is not saying it as like oh you know Ranger fan he was a Devils goalie, but you just sort of look at and it's also kind of like a chicken and an egg thing like. Because of how he played and how the Devils played, where he was a third defenseman, so he was able to just go back there, get the puck, then pass it off to someone who would then start a rush and how they were to shut things down. But it's almost like, could you have essentially had someone a bit lesser than Brodeur and still have have the success on those New Jersey Devils teams? Um like, I get it. He has the most wins, and people point out, you know, the amount of shutouts he has and, and all that that stuff. But I think we saw enough of Brodeur in um, recent times and in the analytics era where we're able to see how he played. Um, so that that's, for me, why I wouldn't have him so up high up on my list. I know weeks back like nhl.com was doing a bunch of rankings and um they had him i think like some people had him number one um but most people had him in, in the top three um but i would say hanks that hanks in the top five maybe at uh at the latest you know like six or seven but I, i'd say he's definitely up there yeah i have hank pretty high um i 
I grew up thinking Brewdoer was really overrated. Um, you can have a couple guesses why I thought that as a Rangers fan who grew up in New Jersey. Uh, but I, I look at him in a similar vein to how I look at Hasek and, and Wah in terms of guys who kind of reinvented and forever changed the position. Um, and, you know, like you, I look at the devil system and I look at the defenseman they had there it was just unbelievable in New Jersey for a long time. But I don't hold everything against him. He was very, very good for a very long time. Um, it's a fun question, though. And it's it's almost, to me, it's like when I was writing up the Masterton uh, nomination for Hank today by the PH, uh, WA. The Professional Hockey Writers Association. It almost made me feel sad that this is the stage of the career that we are right now for Hank. You know, with you know he's got these two young pups nipping at his heels, chasing him out of his out of his spot, and we know he wants to play, but we also know this has been really hard on him. Yeah, it's something that I guess we've come just to sort of expect based on where we saw things were going with the organization. Um, I didn't think it would be this quickly. I really thought that there would have been a decision had been made on, on Gorgiev first, um, where it would have been a situation where, okay, they've decided this is what they're going to do with Gorgiev, and then it's going to be Hank and Igor for the final year, or they would have made a decision where maybe, um, yeah, we definitely want to keep um, Gorgiev around, and it's just going to be two young kids hanging around. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. And with that said, uh, now is the perfect time for an ad break before we talk about uh, the awards that you are probably really interested in. So uh, we will be right back. just like that we're back from the break um we had talked a lot about hank and, and you know masterton trophy um but the other two awards that of should be of major interest to rangers fan who i think will get considerable support um it's panarin for the heart trophy where i'm hoping that the writers don't let us down and have him as like a fourth place guy i know that nhl.com They've been doing their tracker, and Panarin has fallen outside of the top three for most of the season. It's sort of been Dreisaitl or McKinnon or um, McDavid even, David Pasternak. Um, I'm going to be writing about this for Banner sort of to sort of tie up the series I've been working on, um, but I think Panarin should be your Hart Trophy winner, hands down. Um where do you think that he will actually end up, Mike? I think he should win it, and not because I cover the Rangers, but because I look at who the other guys have to play with, and I look at who Artemi Panarin has to play with, and I think uh, it should be him. <laughs> and uh, 
where I think he'll finish is the thing that makes me sad, Tom. Um, I think three, four. I think it's tough. Um, I think I think Dreisaitl will, and McKinnon will get the bulk of the votes. I know there's also some talk about like, hey, why not Hellebuck for Hart? But I don't know. I think it's it's tough because it's not. This is one of those races where it's like it's not a one or two dog race, right? <laughs> like, or we have like an entire pack here of guys you could make a strong case for. And one of the reasons I lean towards Panarin is because of the influence he had on his teammates and what he had to work with. Um, you know, he willed the Rangers' offense into being a dynamic weapon. So, pretty pretty fun player, incredibly valuable. Um, the Rangers would not be anything like the team they are without him. And I know you could make a similar case for guys like Dreisaitl and guys like McKinnon, but... No, it's he is the Rangers. I mean, it's it's him and Zabenajad, right? And then like a tear down is Kreider. So I think it's it's a pretty special, it, like it's a historic season for the Rangers. You know, he was on pace to do something really special this year. You know, I think he just missed the one game. I think right, and uh, I anticipate him falling, not getting the love he deserves. But we'll see. The way I look at it. If I if I had a vote, my three finalists would be Panarin, McKinnon, and Hellebuck. Um, I think Hellebuck has a strong case, but looking at the, it's the GMs who vote for uh, or, or for the Vesna. So I'm I hopefully they don't do him wrong for that award. Um, but for the Hart Trophy, I would hope that people would be able to use all of the statistics that are out there to, to see how strong his performance was in, in front of a, a Winnipeg team who the way they played weren't going to make the playoffs um, what McKinnon did with all the injuries around him um, I think he's top five player in this league um, he'll be top three very soon um, and then obviously everything Panarin did I, I, it's just hard for me like I understand Leon won the Art Ross. Great offensive player, great goal scorer, but he didn't have a great year when you figure how much of a liability he was defensively. And people are going to be like, oh, well, he's a great offensive player. But Panarin was able to be a great offensive player without being a defensive liability. He yeah, was able more two dimensional. Don't get yeah. me wrong, I would love. A one-dimensional Leandre Seidel. Uh, sign me up. But yeah, it's it's a it's a really unique thing, right? To see, to have this kind of front row seat to what Panarin did. Like we expected him to be great. No one expected him to be this great. Um, you know, we expected the Rangers to really be significantly worse than they were this year. Even though they had, you know, the the you know the garbage fire that was the defense and everything else, but Panarin was just so goddamn good. Like if if not for Zibanejad's injury during the season and a couple other things, I don't know. It might have been a different story this year because that's how good Panarin was. Yeah, 
And like you had said, everything Panarin did while playing with Ryan Strom, um, where Leon Dreisaitl's most frequent linemate in terms of time on ice was Connor McDavid. Um, Not bad. Yeah. I mean, he split time between left wing and center. Um, He spent less games played as a center, but for the purposes of, like, all-star team voting... He's going to be considered a center instead of a left wing, so I don't know how that works out, but okay, whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm ready to be disappointed with how they vote for Panarin. Um, but he had a, a a a better season than I think any of us could have expected. I think we had an idea of what the Rangers were getting when they signed him, but what he did was just. That times two. So, yeah, I think been we should win. Such a fun I hope story. He wins. Pr- yeah, the other one, which I kind of have an, a sense of how it's going to go, but I'm more interested to see how far up he can go, and, and that's the Calder Trophy. Um, Adam Fox had a tremendous season. Um, unfortunately, he's a rookie at the same time as Cal McCarr and Quinn Hughes. And I think Ugh, wrong year to be a good rookie D. Yeah. I mean, even before he got injured, um, John Marino of the, uh, the penguins was having a, a sensational season. Um, it's, I, I don't know. I, I could see him maybe, maybe finishing third. Um, I still think that there's people who are going to look at, what Dominic Kubalik did for the the Blackhawks, um, I think people might look at what uh, Victor Olsson did for Buffalo, all the goals he scored. But I would hope that Adam Fox gets some love because, like you talk about um, players who really made an impact, who would have thought going into this season? with uh, the defense that the Rangers had and, and they spent all this money um, after trading for Jacob Truba that Fox would be far and away the team's uh, best uh, defenseman. I didn't. I didn't think so either. I mean, in my opinion, it's it's McCars to lose and, and then it's like, yeah, Quinn Hughes was also really something special and that's literally two other rookie D that are in front of Fox, but you know, like I, I consider what Fox did more impressive than Kubalik and Olufsen. I mean, if you look at what he was asked to do, um, and like particularly Kubalik didn't have a lot of ice time, not a lot of responsibility. You know, he's goal heavy kind of a guy, uh, which isn't a bad thing, but you know, it'd be really interesting to see if he can repeat that. But, um, and like you said, Olofsson's goals were worth their weight in gold for Buffalo. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a shame, but it's also it's still worth celebrating to me that Fox had this the sort of rookie season he had. Like he'll finish he finished of course with seventy games, eight goals, thirty four assists. You know, a guy who we were also jazzed about because of his college hockey play, and then like Traverse City, he looked like. You know, a men amongst boys, and yeah, you know, he just on a team that had an eight million dollar a year addition, he outshined that guy in a big way. 
Yeah, when I tweeted this yesterday, but if you look at McCarr, Fox, and Hughes, based on goals above replacement and wins above replacement um, on evolving hockey, so in terms of goals above replacement, McCarr is 15.8. This is in 57 games. Fox was 14.9 in 70 games, and Quinn Hughes was 11.1 in 68 games. And then if you were just to break this down in terms of offense and defensive share, in offense it's McCarr 12.5, Fox 11.3, and then Hughes 8.4. And then defensive shares, it's Fox 2.9, McCarr 1.3, and then Hughes 0.2. So... From an underlying perspective, uh, Fox is up there. I think the biggest difference, because most people, if you're if you're not going to be able to see all the league, you go to NHL.com and go, oh, who had the most points? Yeah, oh, that's pretty good for a rookie defenseman. Um, where with Fox, it was just based on the talent on the roster, he wasn't getting a lot of power play time per game, so. I think that's where he would have been able to to make up the gap, but we'll see. Uh, I I would say that regardless, you know, him, Panarin, whatsoever, if they win, if they're a finalist, it it doesn't take away about the uh, everything that they did this year. So while we're we're talking about it to to, to fill up time and content, it's it's not gonna I'm not gonna lose any sleep if you know the things don't go their way. Yeah. I, lo- I I love how fun and young the Rangers are and then how good how how promising things are with Panarin and let's just think about that and not a lot of the other stuff. What you also can think about is guess who's eligible for the Calder Trophy next year? Who that? Igor. Oh yeah, that's right. That's fun. That could be a lot of fun. I mean, if he gets the starts, he'll be freaking hard to beat. Um, you know, is there anything else? Uh... Yeah, the only thing I was going to ask you, and I'm sort of yeah. going to put you on the spot before I read our patrons. No, oh, son of a bitch. Uh, yeah, you know, sue me. What are you going to do about it? Um, out of curiosity, and mm-hmm. obviously you don't need to give me preciseness, um, where do you think Quinn would fall in votes for um, Jack Adams. Now, I'm not saying he should win, but I just can think of all the times when they were on national TV or whatnot. You just had a lot of praising of, oh, look at what David Quinn's done, the former college hockey coach on his second year on the job and how the Rangers' rebuild has sort of gone faster than anyone could thought and, and all that stuff. Um just out of uh, curiosity, based on the amount of accolades he's been getting, top five, top ten, I don't yeah. know. I mean, uh, this is not good podcasting, but I have no fucking idea. Like, Quinn has been a... He has been, like, trying to read the stars through fog for me. I really... There are things about him I like and things about him that make me grind my teeth at times. But, like, I look at... I try to get an idea of what his perception is around the league because that's really what matters right here. 
like what do people think of him and the job he's done and I think if people are being objective they're not going to say David Quinn is the reason Artemi Panarin had a heart right. heart worthy season and you know if you look at some of the things that have happened with this team and you know like you want to talk about you know if he's you know he you know hit the ball with uh with Philip Heedle. he made the right call there and then you know he was unable to get a lot of other things going he might be credited in some way for Ryan Strom and the big season he had um but like what do you say to David Quinn and Jacob Truba's drop in production like what do you say to David Quinn is David Quinn being resourceful Tom when he plays Brendan Smith as a forward until the Rangers trade Brady Shea or is David Quinn just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks um it's it's fascinating to me because I'm not sure what I would be shocked if he's in the top five I I guess I'll put it that way because this is not like the Rangers very easily could have been a team that wasn't a part of this uh you know being in within striking distance of actually being in the playoffs because of course the rangers are not in the playoffs they're in the mm-hmm. playing whatever the hell um you know this is a team that was 10th in the conference um when the world stopped spinning and the team ahead of them the islanders and the standings i think had two games in hand so yeah uh, he's a guy who had excellent goaltending, was unable to solve his defensive, stri- like the, the disaster of the blue line. He had to deal with injuries, but yeah, I don't know. I think I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a nod here and there, but I really don't think he's in the running. The only reason I bring it up is I see that you have a lot of coaches that have sort of like a similar story. So whether it's, um, so Jared Bednar, obviously, what he's done with the Avs, with all of their injuries. John Tortorella, what he's done with, with Columbus. You yeah. obviously have A.V. coming to the Flyers and things turning around. Um, Boston, Bruce Cassidy doing you know great things with them. Where, I, I mean, you could say Barry Trotz to, again, n- more success w- with the Islanders. Um, where I think what if, Tortorella's done is insane. Yeah. I guess to be more specific, because you have a, a, a group of candidates, you could have some, some splintering of the vote where if Quinn say, oh, he got... Oh, know, yeah, and that could serve, yeah. Just where I could see him you know, finishing closer than he would in, in, in another year where people might go, oh, well, you know what? They weren't expected to do a lot this year, and I'll give them a, a fifth-place vote or something. It was, it was more like a... A general curiosity. I mean, it's not impossible. Like, you know, it's... To me, it's... I don't think... We see a lot of baby coaches, and by baby I mean they gotta be like a fresh face in the league. We don't see them get that award very often. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Normally it goes to... Like, I think, what is the last four years is trots, gallant, torts, trots, and then I forget. Um... So, like, it's guys who've been around for a while. Um, like, I don't know how old Bilesma was when he won it. 
with Pittsburgh, but I mean, it's it's kind of rare for young guys to get this award. Um, in fact, it's much more frequent that we see guys who've won the award before get it before because it's in many ways it's a reputation thing. Um, often, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that it's not hard earned and well deserved reputation for being a good coach. But um, yeah, I don't think he's a part of that conversation though. I think maybe he'll finish outside, just outside the top ten. That's fair. And if anything else, when the voting does happen, we can always come back and revisit, and one of us might be righter than the other. I think you'll be more right than I am, but... Uh, well, let me yeah. put you on the spot now. You sound Sure. Like Whatever. Bring it. Who gets the Selkie this year? I would say Sean Couturier. That's I just, who I always want to vote for. He had a really good season, and I think he's a player that when you talk like underrated players like he doesn't get his due because he really doesn't i think it was for the longest time people were like oh yeah sean couturier is pretty nice you know he's a fine player he's but he doesn't score he's and then good. he started to score yeah exactly and like it's like okay 39 points yeah 39 points yeah but he turns 25, and it's 76 points, 76 points, and then 59 points in 69 uh, games this year. Um, he It's worked out, and I, I sometimes wonder if, say, uh, the uh, the Jeff Carter trade doesn't happen, and uh, he would, could be with Columbus right now. Yeah, I'm a big Coots fan. I love his game. That's a good pick. But I don't think the Rangers really have anybody else who's got a chance at anything. I mean, and that's fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I could could see Panera getting some Selkie votes. Like, not a lot, but I know every year you have those people who get, like, three or four votes. um, Because defensively, he was pretty strong this year. I mean, I think Mark Stone's generally a guy who's solid defensively and yeah. also while pre- contributing offensively. Um, and wingers never get the love they deserve for that award. And Stone is one of those guys who deserves that recognition. Um, normally yeah. it's defensive forward is almost exclusively defensive center um, in mm-hmm. terms of the history of voting. Like, what was it, Yuri, Yuri Lentinen, right? And then, like, after him, it was just a, a desert of centers. Yeah, I think Yuri Lettinen's like the last guy to do it. Last it's winger, just, yeah. It just seems every year it's, uh, oh, let's see. Does they play center? Okay, they can qualify. But yeah, anything else you wanted to uh, talk about? No, I think that's about it. We're in phase two, folks, and, uh, you know, we get to talk awards, and we're still. You know, stuff is coming together. We'll have to see what happens with Elias and everything else Rangers-related. But thanks for tuning in. Uh, We hope everyone's doing well, staying safe, staying healthy. Um, Remember, social distancing. Wash your goddamn hands. Cover your fucking face. Take care of yourselves. And all that good stuff. Yeah. And uh, and on that note, a special thanks to our our Patreon subscribers. Uh, a six foot gap, Adam Nahoek, Ian Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andre Chikagov, Andy White, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Beezer, Ben Pierney, Garner Osterheim, 
Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Captain America, Chris Abibi, Chris Lucas, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Daniel Gizem, David L. Singer, Fancy Lawrence, Frank Menino, George Lipman, Igor Zavlosky, James Dangles, Jamie Bustle, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Prentapelski, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Walsh, Keith Franchillo, Kevin Mead, Kush Tastic, Kyle Napolitano, Matt Bader, Matthias Olson, Michael Alsante, Michael Kanek, Michael Marcus, Michael Silver, uh, Nick Atropov, Nikolai Hoffman, Terrawin2020, Patrick Landolt, Perennial Powerhouse, Sammy Vogel Seidenberg, Sean, Steve Ballback, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The Eric Carlson, The Ninja's Ninja, The Tin Man, Tori from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Uh, thank you all to our Patreon subscribers. Um, we appreciate your, your support. Um, thank you everyone for listening to the show. Uh, we will be back with you next week and uh, stay well and uh, take care of yourselves. Be well, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.